Coming up this evening, live from New York City, another hot inflation number today. Producer prices rose over 11% in the past 12 months. America's biggest bank underperforms while building up its reserves in case of bad loans. What does this tell us about the economy? A new bill aims to raise taxes on small American businesses. We talk to a small business owner about how it'll affect her. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. Another hot inflation number out today. The Producer Price Index, or PPI, has risen to near record highs. It's a leading indicator of consumer price inflation, meaning the increase will later be passed on to consumers. The PPI measures the cost of producing consumer goods. It rose 1.1% last month, and compared to a year ago, it climbed 11.3%, the highest 12-month increase since March. Rising energy prices contributed the most. The PPI release comes one day after the Labor Department reported that consumer prices surged 9.1%. One major contributor to that consumer price surge is the rising rent. That's especially true in the Big Apple, where your monthly rent will take a big bite out of your wallet. The average monthly rent in Manhattan was over $5,000 in June, according to Douglas Elliman and Miller Samuel. The brokerage firm says that's about a 25% hike from the year before and a record high for the fifth month in a row. The analysts say one reason costs rose that much is due to would-be home buyers who's paused their searches and decided to rent instead. They also say they don't expect to see rental rates falling in the near future because new leasing in the city typically doesn't hit a peak until the end of summer. Key Senate Democrat Joe Manchin is raising the alarm on inflation. He says Washington can't add any more fuel to this inflation fire. This could spell trouble for President Biden's Build Back Better social spending package. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. With inflation at a new 40-year high, Senator Joe Manchin Wednesday blasted the White House and congressional leaders for not doing enough. In a statement he wrote, For more than a year, leaders in Washington have ignored the serious concerns raised by myself and others about the rising cost of inflation. He said it's time to produce more energy at home and get unnecessary spending under control. This as Democrat leaders push to reach a scaled-down agreement on Biden's social spending package by the end of summer. A reporter asked Manchin if he thinks they could reach a deal by the August recess. It's too early to say. I mean, here's the thing. September 30th is a drop-dead date. We know that as far as if you can use this reconciliation. Uh, And to me, that's, that's the date you use. Soaring prices for food, housing, and gasoline have driven inflation to a new 40-year high. New data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows inflation soared 9.1 percent in June compared to a year ago. Economists describe inflation as too many dollars chasing too few goods. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell Wednesday blamed Democrat spending for the inflation we're seeing now. The Democrats complaining about inflation today voted in lockstep for the bill that brought us here. Republican Senator Josh Hawley said he thinks Democrats' plan to combat inflation could make things worse. Their plan to combat inflation is inflationary. They want to, they want to raise taxes and they want to spend more money, like hundreds of billions of dollars more. It's insane. They're the reason we have the inflation. 
Meanwhile, White House economic adviser Cecilia Rouse Wednesday said the Federal Reserve is starting to make movements and we're starting to see their changes. So their, their processes are in motion. Uh, we have full faith and confidence that over the coming months that inflation will be coming down. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen Thursday said combating inflation is the Biden administration's top priority. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Senate Democrats are also proposing a new bill to raise taxes on small businesses. Nearly 200 organizations have voiced their opposition. Under the proposal, people earning more than $400,000 a year and couples making more than $500,000 a year would have to pay a 3.8% tax on their earnings. Business organizations, including the National Association of Manufacturers, argue that this is not the right thing to do. In a letter to Congress, they said, in the face of a possible recession, 40-year high inflation, unprecedented supply chain challenges, and chronic labor shortages, raising taxes on small, individually and family-owned businesses is the wrong approach and should be rejected. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about the bill, how the bill will impact her business, is Nicole Walter. She's a member of the National Association of Manufacturers and the president and CEO of HM Manufacturing. Nicole Walter, thanks for coming on. Now, there's a new bill being proposed to raise taxes on small businesses and S-corporations. Now, why is your organization, the National Association of Manufacturers, you know, among others, opposing this bill? You even co-signed a letter. Can you tell us about this bill and the impact it would have on your business? Well, I just think for small manufacturers, small businesses in general, we've already been impacted for the past two years. Um, a lot of people had to close their doors. A lot of people had to let um, their employees go. And to raise taxes right now, instead of having a pro-growth bill, I think it would just be a, a devastation. Um, you would really talk about some serious recession if you would do something like that. You know, a lot of the small businesses, we, we really put a lot of our profits back into our company, back into our employees, and back into the community. And so to raise taxes like that after having two years of uncertainty, um, and of course the supply chain issues as well, where we're paying through the roof on a lot of different things, uh, would just be the worst thing possible. And I think you would really see a, a lot of people without jobs, you would see business closures, and you would really hit into a big recession. I hate to say it, but I really think that the politicians are just so out of touch with reality. I don't think that they really understand what the small business and small manufacturers go through on a daily basis and, and how hard it's been for the past two years. Um, they don't really empathize. They do when they're on camera, but I don't really think that they understand all the inner workings of what we have to do on a daily basis to kind of stay afloat, keep in business and keep progressing and also be able to to give stuff back to the employees. So I just think that they're out of touch with reality and um, they really need to start talking to smaller businesses to really see what it is that we go through. How much of a burden would this bill have on your business? A, a lot, you know, right now we're really forecasting into purchasing new equipment. I think that would stall that plan. I really would do a hiring freeze. Um, you know, in, in the past year, just in the past six months, I've raised wages for the employees here two separate times to try to keep up with inflation, which of course is just impossible. Um, but this would really put a big chokehold on small businesses and also for future demand and what we would wanna do to kind of progress manufacturing here in the US. 
You know, you mentioned uh, inflation. You know, we saw this morning that the producer price index rised to 1.1% compared to last month. Is it costing your company more to manufacture right now? It is. You know, the, the, the saving grace right now has been that material is going down, but all of your burdens are going up. You know, I'm seeing insurance go up, health care go up. Um, you know, gas go up, electricity go up, every little thing, even down to waste management is going up. And so to try to curtail these costs, um, it, it's really difficult. You know, you can only pass so much on to your customer who can then pass it on to your consumer. And it's just really hard to try to figure out how you're going to pass that on. So I know for a lot of us small businesses, we're kind of just having to swallow these extra costs because a lot of our customers are saying no more. We've already had enough with the surcharges that we've had to pay. And of course, increased labor has also been something that we've been passing on. Um, but at a certain point, they say no more. And it's just getting more and more pricey to do certain things. Um, you know, my company and I were looking to invest in automation and robotics to try to curtail um, all of the expenses that are going on. So, of course, you know, it's great to have the robotics to kind of showcase on your floor, but that means that we're, we're taking away from a hiring position. Now, you talk about robotics. If this bill goes through and you have to pay more taxes, are you going to start laying off people? Um, I would like to not do that. Um, but I think the future will, will tell, you know, if inflation keeps going up and we continue to keep spending instead of curtailing that, um, I think we're going to have to take a, a big look at our current workforce and what we're up to. All right, Nicole Walter, president of HM Manufacturing. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Markets ended mixed today, reversing some earlier losses after another inflation number and disappointing bank earnings. The Dow fell 143 points, or half a percent. The S&P dropped 11 points, or three-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq at least didn't fall, adding four points. J.P. Morgan, America's largest bank, underperformed in the second quarter. Because of its size, its activities are seen as an indicator of what's happening in the economy. And things don't look great. NTD's Faye Quarter has more. J.P. Morgan Chase missed analyst estimates on both top and bottom lines and even set aside $428 million into its loan loss reserves. Banks use these kinds of reserves to cover potential losses from bad loans. This enormous provision shows that the bank is even more worried than most market participants about the risks of a recession. Daniel Lacaye is the chief economist of the Tresses Hedge Fund. Lacaye says J.P. Morgan is one of the largest lenders in the world and wouldn't set aside so much for a moderate slowdown. J.P. Morgan is the largest bank in America, and how it performs is seen as an indicator of what's happening in the economy. Overall loan growth was at 6%, while Federal Reserve data shows double-digit growth nationwide suggesting the bank underperformed. There were 45% fewer mortgage loans created, which means people are buying and refinancing fewer houses. And auto loan and lease originations were down 44%, which means people are buying fewer cars. As rates go up, that will create a slowdown, uh, particularly from the consumer in loan demand. David Schwartz is the president of FIBA, an international banking trade association. Schwartz says the Fed has to raise rates to tame inflation, which at the same time hurts loan demand. Meanwhile, investment banking fees fell by a steep 54 percent, reflecting a drop in dealmaking. 
Last month, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon said he's bracing for an economic hurricane, adding that nobody knows if it'll be a minor one or a superstorm Sandy. Faye Quarter, NTD News. It seems things are better with chip makers. The world's biggest, TSMC, forecast revenue growth that could be the highest in 10 quarters. It could ease worries that cooling demand will turn into oversupply. TSMC says there's still strong demand for high-end chips, the kind used in data centers and electric vehicles. But at the same time, it did signal that demand is cooling from consumer electronics customers. TSMC doesn't seem too worried, though. The CEO told investors that a cool-down is to be expected after two years of stay-at-home demand. He said the company sees solid long-term demand that any upcoming down cycle wouldn't be as bad as in 2008. Japan's Panasonic Energy Company has selected Kansas as a site for a new battery plant. The Panasonic plant will supply batteries primarily to Tesla. The firm already has a Nevada factory that supplies the electric vehicle maker. Tesla CEO Elon Musk has said battery production will be critical to boosting electric vehicle production in two to three years. Kansas has estimated $2.5 billion in annual economic activity from the plant. Panasonic said no decisions have been finalized on the new plant's production capacity, investment amount or workforce size. The company plans to expand battery production capacity by three to four times by 2029. The Biden administration has aimed to cut U.S. reliance on Asia for EV batteries as it aims to boost the domestic EV industry. U.S. car-making giant General Motors is planning to build thousands of electric car charging stations across the country. GM is partnering with Pilot Flying J Travel Centers, adding a total of 2,000 fast chargers to 500 truck stop locations. Once completed by next year, the chargers will be available to all electric cars that are compatible with DC fast charging. The chargers will be built 50 miles from each other along U.S. highways. Korean car maker Hyundai is releasing a new all-electric vehicle. It has a new design and claims to drive as far as industry leader Tesla on a single charge. NTD's Phil Zhou has the details. Hyundai is releasing a new electric car with a bubbly teardrop design, the Hyundai Ioniq 6 calling it the electrified streamliner for its aerodynamic design, paying homage to the popular American Airstream trailer. Hyundai currently sells the second most electric cars in the U.S., behind only Tesla. I'm a big fan of, of electric vehicles. I enjoy driving them. I spoke to John Bazella, CEO of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation. The last time we spoke was at the New York Auto Show, when Bazella was testing out the Hyundai Ioniq 5, Bazella says the EV industry keeps on growing. You know, you can find brand new, exciting, beautifully designed electric vehicles that appeal to every segment of the market in the United States. I think that's really what this is about. Hyundai expects the Ioniq 6 to get 380 miles of range on a single charge, which is comparable to the Tesla Model 3. The new Hyundai is expected to retail for around $42,000, while a Tesla Model 3 costs around $47,000. Bazella says in order for electric cars to take off, they'll need to be more affordable. That price has to come down, meaning the raw materials 
that go into batteries and electric motor components uh, need to become more available and need to become less expensive. Tesla currently holds the top two best-selling EVs in the U.S., while Hyundai's Ioniq 5 SUV is holding on to fifth place. But that won't really matter in the short term, says Julia Morovchek, regional director at Driven. Probably for years to come, there won't be any real competition between manufacturers because everybody's going to be able to sell all that they can make. The new car is expected to go on sale early next year in the U.S. Phil Zhou, NTD News. 550 women are suing Uber. They say that Uber drivers have sexually assaulted them, kidnapped them, and raped them, imprisoned them, and attacked them in multiple other ways. They accuse Uber of prioritizing hiring drivers as quickly as possible over consumer safety. The, their lawyers say Uber doesn't fingerprint drivers or run their information through FBI databases. Uber says that sexual assault is a horrific crime and that it takes every single report very seriously. Uber itself reported 998 sexual assaults, which included 141 incidents of rape just for 2020. Bill Gates doesn't want to be one of the world's richest people forever. The Microsoft founder penned a blog post Wednesday saying he will move down that list and eventually off it because he has, he said, quote, an obligation to return my resources to society. His primary tool for doing that is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Gates is moving $20 billion to that endowment as it ramps up its philanthropic spending in the face of challenges like the pandemic and the war in Ukraine. The foundation plans to increase its yearly payout from about $6 billion per year to $9 billion by 2026. According to Bloomberg, Gates is currently the fourth richest person in the world, with a net worth of about $114 billion. Still to come, a close look at the housing crisis in Cuba, where lack of maintenance and government restrictions are making the situation worse. Time Out magazine ranks this year's greatest cities in the world. Is your city on that list? That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. U.S. officials have approved American Airlines to make more flights to Cuba, reversing a decision by former President Trump, who cut those services to starve the Cuban regime of cash. The Transportation Department will let American resume flights from Miami to five destinations in Cuba. Before, there were only flights to Havana. Trump suspended the other flights in 2019 to increase economic pressure on the Cuban government. Then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said Cuba was using tourism and travel funds to finance its abuses and interference in Venezuela. Two months ago, President Biden reversed that decision. 
Secretary of State Antony Blinken said it was to support the Cuban people and in the foreign policy interests of the United States. Talking about Cuba, a recent hurricane there damaged a number of houses in Havana. It's put the spotlight on Cuba's housing crisis, one of Cuba's main social problems. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. Inadequate maintenance for deteriorating buildings, a lack of new housing construction, and government restrictions have all contributed to Cuba's housing problem. Olga Lydia Lajera lives with her daughter and two granddaughters in a tiny 160-square-foot apartment. It barely has enough room for a shelf with pots and a rickety sofa bed. A cloth curtain separates the space they use to wash up. There is no bathroom. The walls fall. They can all fall down. Look how the walls are all cracked. The buildings are very old, 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 old. The structures are very old. Well, where else can I live? It goes without saying. The first storm of the 2022 hurricane season hit Cuba in mid-June and caused dozens of collapses in the capital and damaged homes that were already in poor condition. It also highlighted one of Cuba's main social problems, a shortage of quality housing. Annette Ayala and her brother, Wometis, live on the second floor of an old building. The structure has cracks in the walls and ceilings so big that air, light and even water can pass through. No one can live like this. Praying that it doesn't rain, I will be on the streets. If we are somewhere else and it starts to rain, we run home to the house because it will be flooded. The living room and the TV get wet. We move the TV to the top of furniture. This is what it's like. Our lives are like that. An official review in 2021 found that at the end of 2020, the island had 3.9 million homes, almost 40% of which were in fair or poor condition. About three quarters were in urban areas. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The results are in for the best cities in the world. Time Out magazine quizzed thousands of people about their cities to come up with the top 53. One U.S. city made it into the top 10 and a second to only one. You may be surprised by the results. Here's a story. Time Out magazine just named Chicago the second greatest city in the world after Edinburgh, Scotland. The ranking is based on local dwellers' ratings of food, drink, cultural scenes, friendliness, affordability, and livability. Sweeney Pandit has lived in Chicago for three years. Chicago has been by far my best city to live in because I moved from New York and I feel Chicago is definitely like the correct blend of like living, enjoying and even working. So I'm not surprised. I'm really happy. <laughs> Chicago is home to more than 7,300 restaurants. 26 of them are Michelin starred and 40 have won the James Beard Award, the Oscar of restaurants. Chicago is a melting pot of arts and culture with hundreds of parades, music and film festivals, theaters and museums. Matt Daniels has lived in Chicago for six years and can't stop raving about Chicago. Chicago has the best proportion of the amount of skyscrapers, the amount of natural, well not natural, but architectural beauty. After the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, which devastated one-third of the young city, Chicago became the center of an architectural renaissance. It's the birthplace of the world's first skyscraper, the Home Insurance Building. It's also home to the Willis Tower, which was the world's tallest building until 1998, and other iconic buildings such as the Wrigley Building. Daniels, who grew up in Detroit, Michigan, used to live in London. He loves the affordability of Chicago. The amount that salaries pay compared to the rent is unbeatable. It completely uh, annihilates New York and London in terms of salary versus rent.
Jeremy Edmonds, who lives in the heart of downtown, doesn't agree with the ranking. COVID's over, but people are still working remotely. These are There's a lot of office buildings here, and a lot of restaurants close. See, like My local pub is closed on Sundays because there's nobody around. Surprisingly, crime is not a big concern for Chicago locals. Five more U.S. cities made it to the top 53 list, with New York at 20, San Francisco at 25, Boston at 29, Miami at 38, and Los Angeles at 42. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. Some fun news to end the show today. We could be seeing some new emojis on our smartphones. A preview of the images being considered was just released from the popular emoji reference site Emojipedia. Just in time for World Emoji Day this Saturday, Sunday. The draft list includes a pushing hand gesture that looks like a high five, a shaking no face, a ginger root, maracas, and a hair pick. The Unicode Consortium will give final approval of the new emojis this fall. That's the nonprofit that oversees global emoji standards and new releases. The emojis would then be released as software updates to major platforms sometime late this year or early next year. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at ntd.com. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.